Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast live on the Chronicle NUFC Facebook page, Twitter, YouTube and later on our podcast channel. Time for our usual Q&A on a Monday afternoon. I'm Andrew Musgrove. And as you may be able to see if you're watching live, not joined by Aaron Stokes, he's got the day off. Uh, I'm led to believe it might be because he's uh, he's injured his knee getting up for the postman. So if you are Aaron's postman, if you are watching, next time you're delivering a parcel, maybe knock on the Monday but wait till the Wednesday to give him a chance to get up to the door without injuring himself. Um, I'm sure Aaron is watching and tuning in wherever he may be. But I am joined by Damien Spellman of the PA. Damien, thank you very much for popping onto the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm glad to see you. I was looking back in the episodes the last time you were on, and if my research is right, it was December 2021, not too long after the the takeover, and it was the week the Sports Direct signs came down from St. James's Park. Right, there you go. And if you look back on the year from there, it's been quite a 12 months in Newcastle night, hasn't it? It's been amazing, actually. I think even the most optimistic of fans, and there was a great deal of optimism around at the time, obviously, but even the most optimistic of fans perhaps wouldn't have expected what's happened to have happened. Um, to to reach a cup final might have been a dream enough, but to be sitting in the top four in the Premier League is just astonishing. And having seen, um, certainly in the early part, I've seen some pretty good football as well. Mm, most certainly and you know you've you've covered this patch for a long time we're talking off camera it might actually be 25 years yeah. and not to make you feel old <laughs> but where does this rank because that means you've covered some of Newcastle's best moments in the Premier League obviously also covered some of Newcastle's worst moments but where does this Eddie Howe side and this ownership I know it's got its controversies but in terms of what they're doing on the pitch and the way they've galvanised the fan base where does it rank? Well I think I'd said this to somebody a few weeks ago that Turning up for matches now, or certainly until the last couple of weeks, and, and that, that's not to put a damper on it, but you look forward to going to matches now, even as a neutral. It reminds me so much of the Bobby Robson era when you would turn up expecting Newcastle to win, but also expecting to see a good game. Uh, and they've done that pretty much this season until the last few weeks when it's got a bit a bit tougher for them and teams have uh, have set up to frustrate them and, and uh, had a bit of success doing that but but no it's actually enjoyable coming to matches again and I'm sure it is for, for fans as well yeah most certainly you guys who are watching I'm sure you'll agree with what Damien said that you do turn up to match days um, even with a bit of expectation more than, than, than hope as it used to be back in the day you know Liverpool for example on, on Saturday I don't think you'll find many Newcastle United fans fearing Liverpool turning up at St James's Park simply because of the run of form Newcastle had been on over the last kind of eight, nine months. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think given what happened at Anfield as well, I think there'll be a certain amount of determination to, to put that right. And, I, and I, 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 don't, I think it would be a brave man who would, would bet against it, even with the issues that, that Eddie might have at the weekend. And, and to be able to say that, and you've also obviously just listed there, you know, top four, a uh, cup final, given where Newcastle United were the last time you were on this podcast very much 
uh, amongst the, the, the teams that were likely to go down to the championship. It has been something of a remarkable turnaround. What do you put it down to? Well, I think there are, there are several factors. I think um, certainly the change of ownership created optim, optimism around the club and within the club. I think uh, the ownership made a very, very good key appointment in, in Eddie Howe, who was, you know, at, at the time when people saw it, people outside the area might have thought, well, that's perhaps not the glamour appointment they might have expected. But what Eddie Howe is, is a good coach, and he's, he's proven that in spades. Um, I think they've invested very, very well, particularly in the first transfer window. I think Kieran Trippier and Nick Pope, uh, sorry, Kieran Trippier in the first window was, was a masterstroke. Um, and Bruno is arguably one of the best central midfielders I've seen play for Newcastle. I think they were brilliant. And then to, to back that up with the summer signings as well, Nick Pope has been absolutely outstanding in, in, in that respect. Um, I think they've, they've done an awful lot right in a very short space of time. And they've got so many people uh, working within the club in those areas you know such as kind of um the the, the deals the sponsorships uh whereas under mike ashley it was it was just one man they've got also people like dan ashworth you know everyone the, the the right people in the right positions and everyone pulling in the same direction just how important do you think that unity's been um over the last kind of eight to ten months i think that's that's huge and i mean dan dan ashworth and darren eels have been perhaps as important appointments as Eddie Howe uh, to get the right m people in the right positions but as you say all with a, a, a single mission and and nobody's pulling against anyone else that there's a direction to be travelled and everyone's travelling in the right direction uh, and, and to have people with proven track records in those positions is very very important. And just going back to Eddie Howe you're in the press conferences uh, every Friday what, what has he been like to deal with because he is under, you know, the microscope because of you know what comes with uh, the, the ownership of Newcastle United and, and the controversy. And he, you know, he, very early on, he was obviously asked a lot about, um, you know, the questions, and he had to kind of face them. He's handled that reasonably well. I think most people would agree. What does he like to deal with on a on a on a weekly basis? Well, he's he's excellent today. But first and foremost, he he comes across as a nice bloke, um, which is always a good start. Um, and I think he's he's. Open in as much as he will answer questions. He's he's been honest enough to um, say that he can't really answer the ownership questions, and he he finds himself in a very difficult position when when they are put to him. Um, and some might say, well, it, it is a difficult. You know, you, it, you've accepted the the job that that is perhaps the position you've put yourself in, but. Apart from that, he has he's been very open in press conferences without giving away things he doesn't want to give away, which is another art of a manager. It can be frustrating for us, but um, but I think he's he's genuinely tried to answer the questions he can um, in the most positive way, and and I and I think the there's there's a more open atmosphere around the whole club, and I think he he sort of typifies that. I think people watching will agree he seems to, to get it. He seems to understand just how important the club is to the fans. He seems to understand how important it is to have a team that tries and everyone, you know, working their socks off. He seems to understand the history and, and you know, the, the importance and tradition of the club. Um, 
yeah, but that's not necessarily easy to do. We've had, you know, in charge of Newcastle United, some big, big names, the likes of Graham Souness, you know, serial winners. Um, I don't think anyone will argue that the talent Graham Souness had as a, as a as a player. Um, you know, you can even look at Kevin Keegan, never actually won anything. Um, you know, fingers crossed that he how it does in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, but how do you think he he has come to that stage where you know he's coming and he does actually understand, at least on the face of it, just how important the club is to the fans and, and exactly kind of what they want from it from a team and, and manager. Well, it's an interesting question. I, I think you you talk about some of the the big names that have been here previously. There've been some big characters as well, um, and perhaps some big egos. And I don't think necessarily there is a great deal of ego to Eddie Howe. And I mean that as a compliment. Um, I think he's, he's a very down-to-earth character, who, but a very intelligent character. And I think he realises that he, needs to un- he needed to understand the club to make it work. And I think the fact that he's, he's living up here with his family, he's, he's bought into the whole thing, and he's out... You know, with his kids at training and he's hearing people talk. His kids are coming home from school excited because their mates are excited. I think that's really important, and I think he has, as I, as I said earlier, bought into the whole thing, and and he and he's very quickly immersed himself into it, and I, and I think that's really important, particularly in a in a one club city like Newcastle. Definitely, and he, I mean he's got a chance to emulate the great Joe Harvey by winning a piece of silverware. I mean, everyone has kind of looked towards the Keegan and the Sir Boy Robson achievements, even though they didn't win anything, and saying, you know, he's, he's up there with that with those two, which is a big, big compliment. Um, but then, they, you know, Joe Harvey is the last man to win a cup, and, and, and to, to, to do that, Eddie Howe, I mean, that, that's just a massive achievement within, within the first kind of 12 to 18 months he's been here. Oh, well, it would be. I mean, as you mentioned, Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson are, are like Geordie royalty, and they didn't win a thing. You know, they, they gave people hope and they, they played some nice football. But if Eddie Howe was to surpass their achievements, he'd be right up, up there with them. Um, and I think deservedly so. Yeah, 100%. And I, I guess the the big debate over the past couple of days has been about the reaction to the 1-1 draw with Bournemouth um, and whether a bit of perspective is needed it's been split, you know, you look at it, Bournemouth were second bottom of the league, I think they were bottom of the form table coming in this game, they'd conceded the most goals in the Premier League, they were really just in a horrendous position, Gary O'Neill's job was reportedly on the line, and yet Newcastle were, in my view at least, lucky to come away with a point from from the vitality, um, but in your view, I mean, is a bit of perspective needed, because we look back and say, well actually this time last year, you know, Newcastle were just starting to see the light. I think they'd only been out of the, the bottom three for, for a week at this point, the first time since September. They're now top four. They're now in a cup final. Look, a 1-1 draw against Bournemouth probably isn't good enough on, on the face, but there's a, there's a bigger picture to look at. I think there is, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'd slightly disagree with you, very slightly, that... Apart from the, the Kieran, Kieran Trippier off the line, I didn't think they were that fortunate. I thought they had the better of the game without ever looking like going on to take control of it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they could quite easily have lost it and, and that would have been a poor result. It wasn't a great performance. The, the, they didn't play particularly well. They didn't cause enough problems to a team, as you say, who were fighting for their lives. Um, what I would say is that 
any Premier League point away from home is not a bad point. I think the context of it being a, a fifth row in six games makes it makes it feel worse than it was. Um, and I think the other the other part to contextualise it further, it's it's a poor result because of what they've done so far this season. You know, I think any other season people might have moaned and groaned a bit about it, but thought, well, a point at Bournemouth's not a bad point. But um, given that they were flying um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, I, I can understand why people are a bit disappointed. And I'm sure Eddie Howe and the players are as well. Um, the, f- the fact is, they didn't play well enough to get anything more than a point, but they still come away unbeaten. And you know, unbeaten in seventeen games now. Well, I suppose that's the point. If, if, if you can't win, you don't lose. Yeah. But I just look at it and think, you know, given that Spurs lost, might not have dropped points earlier in the week. Uh, it was a, it was a big kind of chance for Newcastle to, to get further ahead. People will say, well, they're still two points ahead of Tottenham with a game in hand. But also, there's that kind of momentum as well that like you'd like to see them build ahead of the the cup final. Um, and f- f- from my point of view, I think going down to a team like Bournemouth. If you're looking to you know to finish in the top four, you you have to really be beating Bournemouth because they'd shown nothing in the kind of the games prior to this and Newcastle like you I mean you see you you felt they were the better side but they didn't ever look like scoring uh, you know winning that game I, I don't think no I I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't disagree with that I I don't think they did um, and they they didn't as I said earlier they didn't cause enough problems. Um, but I just I, it sounds a ridiculous thing to say when I've already mentioned the Kieran Trippier clearance but I didn't think they were ever in any danger of losing it apart from at, at that point um, but but yeah and I suppose the other thing you've got to, got to look at really is you talk about you know if you're looking to finish in the top four for me and I know a lot of fans won't agree with this I think a top four finish would be a significant overachievement for this season, given how early we are on in the project at, at Newcastle. It would be brilliant, um, and on the first 20 games or so, they would, would have deserved it. Whether you can sustain that over a season with, with a squad which now has a couple of injuries and which I think there's a bit of fatigue creeping in, I think there's also an element that other teams have wor- worked out how to combat elements that have been successful then I think it's it's going to be tougher and when you throw not the distraction but the Carabao Cup final into that and that's you know it takes a bit of concentration away from the league I, I think you do have to look at the the broader picture um, Kyle says definitely need to put things into perspective teams like Bournemouth are always going to be difficult as they're fighting for survival and aren't going to just roll over for us because we're in the top four it's all part of the amazing journey and you're right in what you say there. I think Newcastle are, are maybe in many ways victims of their own success I from the totally early part agree. of the season. Um, and, of course, the cup final. And Eddie Howe obviously has said countless times that you know his his, his focus was was um, on, the, on the game that comes next. He can't think ahead of now. He can't think ahead of Liverpool. It's all about the game on Saturday. But the players are only human and their minds are going to wander, <clears throat> just like fans' minds are wandering to that uh, weekend in London and, and on the 26th, uh, 25th and 26th of February. No, I, I, that's only human nature, I think. What, what I would say is that in terms of the effort and the commitment 
players put in on Saturday. I don't think there was any sign of people, you know, shying out of tackles or or not putting in the running. And and you know, obviously they've come away with a couple of injuries as a result of it, unfortunately. Um, but I think there was the quality that has been there in previous weeks wasn't there. And I think the fact that Bruno is missing is is probably a a big factor in that as well. But I, I do think there'll be tired. Tired bodies and tired minds out there as well after what has been a, a whirlwind, a whirlwind first six or seven months of the season. We've got a few comments here on on Bruno. Uh, Am Ruffer says we miss Bruno uh, a lot uh, these days, and John also says Saturday day shows how much and how important Bruno is missed at present. He could be the difference for us in the final and the rest of the season. Again, I don't think anyone would argue with that. No, no, um, they have. So what they've drawn now five out of the last six is it? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. not, you know, it's not the same run of uh, results as they were picking up earlier in the season. Why do you think that is? Is it because a little bit of teams have worked them out maybe, and the tiredness creeping in, and and you know, there's a few comments saying, well, let's let's see a few changes, but the reality is that Eddie Howe, given the injuries that have been suffered as well, we don't know the severity of them. Uh, Willick, uh, Miggy, St. Maximum, but given that, yeah. He hasn't really got many options to turn to, has he? No, I, th- no, I think that's a fair point. If you look at Newcastle's strongest eleven, all fit and in form, it's a very strong eleven. But after that, you know, when you when you get past some maximum, um, and you look at the bench and you think, I know, obviously Isaac has, has not been starting in, until the weekend. You, you you've probably got a strong thirteen or fourteen, but then. You, when you get down to the 18s and 19s, it's it's less less tried and tested, or or a, you know a, a, a tapering off of quali- the quality, should we say? Um, so I think um, yeah, I think you're right that teams have started to to come up with plans, um, and I think uh, that has had a, a major impact. I also thought on on Saturday in particular, and I, I thought it after, uh, during the West Ham game as well. I thought Newcastle were a bit less dynamic. There was the an extra extra pass or an extra cut back. They, they weren't moving the ball as quickly. I think that that in large part was due to Bruno's absence because I think he makes them tick that little bit quicker. Um, um, and and yeah, and just just generally, I think. They're finding it a bit more difficult to do what they were doing in the early part of the season for a for a variety of reasons. But I think what you also have to remember is some of those games in the early part of the season, they didn't blow teams away. Some of them sometimes they did, but other times there were there were fine margins and they came out on the right side of those margins. And a couple of times recently that they, they perhaps haven't. Uh, Dale says, Remember at the start of the season we were happy with the top eight and a good cup run. We're not top four uh, and a cup final definitely. Well, sorry, there yeah, top four and a cup final definitely achieving a present. As the old saying goes, Rome wasn't built in a day. And just on the Bruno discussion, we all know how good he is. We know that um, obviously suspended after picking up that that red card in the the semi final second leg. But Truel says, if we are this bad without Bruno, then uh, I can't understand why we didn't go for another centre midfielder or a defensive midfielder in, in the January window. And that is the question of, of a lot of people. I mean, obviously, they let Shelby go as well. And he played for, for Forrest over the weekend. And it, I think on one hand, it's Newcastle, you know, 
just keeping things a little bit intact for the summer when maybe we'll see them spend a bit more money and they can lay out the plans for the future then. Um, also, it's just bad luck, isn't it? That Bruno picks up that suspension um, and you know other injuries have, have come into play as well. It is, and I, and I think, I mean, it's no secret that Eddie Howe didn't want to, to let John Joe Shelby leave. Um, and I, I suspect when he did okay it, he thought they might get somebody in, and ultimately they didn't. Um, and, I, and I think it's, it's glaringly obvious that that is one of the departments in which they, they need to strengthen. Um, and I think you're right. I think it, it will be some, somewhere they'll invest in the summer. Um, and we all know they've, they've they've looked at people for for that position or those those area that area of the pitch. Um, but I, th- I think the other other thing to mention is, and I know he's not a direct replacement, um, but he's a, a player who has um, Eddie Howe has spoken about quite a lot this season. Elliot Anderson might find himself thrust into a again, particularly with you know Joe Willock's injury now thrust into a, a role which uh, in which he can show how he's developed over over the time to the point where where he is now a permanent member of the the squad and wasn't you know wasn't available for loan in in either of the last two windows he certainly looked hasn't looked out of place has no, he not in, at all. in the, the substitute appearances he's had and i think I I said I would I wouldn't mind of him starting against against Bournemouth but I also said I don't think Eddie Howe is going to change uh, where he doesn't need to but again, with the injuries and with them looking a little bit leggy, a little bit tired, um, you know, maybe Liverpool, the Liverpool game could be the perfect opportunity to throw them in 50,000 behind them in a game where, you know, Liverpool's vulnerability is probably that midfield and their full-backs. So it's a good opportunity for Farnison to show what he's he's made of. Um, do you think, though, it's not just the midfield department as well where, where they're a little bit short? Is there anywhere else, maybe up top? I know they've got Wilson and Isaac, but we saw yesterday Wilson's picked up a hamstring injury. Eddie Howe says it's not too severe, but we, we, we sometimes know Eddie Howe says one thing and it maybe leads to to, 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 to another story coming out in a few, <laughs> few days' time. Um, they are vulnerable up top because it doesn't even take an injury, does it? It takes a, you know, a, a bad run of form. It takes someone just having an off day. You know, if Isaac needed to come off yesterday uh, on, against Bournemouth, um, you know, for whatever reason, um, or again Liverpool if Wilson's not back, then Newcastle have got no recognised centre forward to turn to, and again they're just looking a little bit short in, in a really important area. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think, uh, yeah, certainly you 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 need competition for places, but also as you rightly say, you need cover for. If the worst happens, and I think I'm not sure of the days when teams would run with with four strikers, I'm not sure that necessarily still applies. But you would certainly want to, you know, if you look around the squad, they could they could play Joe Linton in at that area if they wanted to. Although we've seen that's not where his strengths are. They could play Saint Maximin in that kind of area uh, again, not where his strengths lie. But yeah, you you would think they would be looking for another specialist there and I, and I also think they will they will need to address the the left back situation because Dan Byrne's been great he's been absolutely great but Dan Byrne as much as Eddie Howe tried to suggest he wasn't on Friday is a centre half playing out of position and he has done brilliantly um, but he's never going to go and overlap St Maximan or whoever else is playing out there and I I suspect they will be looking for a specialist left 
left back at some point. Well, I think that's one of the other big points that came out after Saturday's game against Bournemouth. Dan Byrne didn't have his best of games. He was quite out a few times. Again, he was another one that was looking a little bit tired. And I think, you know, he's been tremendous. Obviously, he got the goal against Leicester, which which helped Newcastle on their way into the, the, the towards the, the cup final. But I think there was a bit of concern, uh, you know, if he's faced up against Anthony maybe in the final, that, you know, that could... Uh, be be a win for Manchester United, uh, but also you know Matt Target is only working back from from fitness, so you, you would foresee that it will be Dan Byrne for Liverpool and and most likely as well for for the final. Even though he's not a, a you know a, a traditional left back and he has um, in recent games been caught out. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think he he will play. I think the one thing you would say is Dan Byrne's a defender. And he likes defending, he likes winning tackles, he likes winning headers. I think positionally, you know, he has played at left-back a lot in his career, so he, he knows the position, but there aren't many six-foot-six full-backs around, and there's a reason for that. Um, but I think he gives the team a lot, um, defensively certainly, um, and he has, this at times this season, given them something going forward, um, but that's not his strength. Um, and and I think in the short term you're right because of Matt Target's issues he he's not going to be in contention to start games anytime in the very near future so I think I think Dumbo would play um, and do you know what yeah he didn't have his best game on on Saturday but he has had some really good games and of course with any any pacey winger even a specialist fullback could have issues. Um, I think somebody who's playing out of position there, you would worry a bit more. But um, I suppose you have to set up your team to to account for that. So you perhaps need to give him a bit more protection if if that is something you you're concerned about. And I'm I'm sure if we are talking about it, they're certainly talking about it in the uh, in the dressing room. Hmm. I mean, we spoke about it on, on last week's episode, myself and John Gibson, because a lot of people were, were asking whether potentially Matt Target coming into the side is a benefit for Alan St. Maximum. But maybe the focus needs to be the other way. Do you play someone on that left who actually benefits the left back? And I know <laughs> games are won by goals, but it's not necessarily always you've got to look forward, I guess. You've got to look at where the bet, where the most uh, the benefit comes, whether it is like we say, playing someone that left that will help out the left back, or whether you play a left back that helps out the forward. Yeah, well, I mean that's you know that's it's striking that balance is the important thing. I mean, Alanson maximum strengths aren't running back towards his own goal, and that's not a criticism. That's just the kind of player he is. And do you waste him if you say to him, you know, you need to be back there double teaming the the winger? I think it's something Joe Linton has, did naturally earlier in the season and did very, very well. Got around the pitch and got tackles in and, and helped out. Uh, and that and that worked. Um, so, um, yeah, I think I think it's a big, big decision. I, I think if... I think we all know what the starting 11 would be if everyone was fit. Uh, and I think it's a starting 11 that's played most games up until the last couple of weeks. Now, the Joe Willock situation will have a, an impact on that um, and it's it's a big decision it is a big decision for all the reasons we've talked about
And I mean, before we get onto that specifically, the, the the goal they conceded against Bournemouth is similar to the goal they conceded against West Ham. Uh, you know, Eddie Howe will not be happy no. at the manner in which they conceded down on the south coast. No, particularly when they've been very good um, from set pieces, um, and yet it was well, it was a lack of lack of attention. I think players players allowing players to run off them. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm you know I'm as a as a football person, I've never liked zonal marking. I've always liked he's your man, he's your man. If he scores, that's your problem. Um, and I think people had to hold their hands up at the weekend because <laughs> there were a couple of people didn't quite do the job they were there to do in that situation. And uh, I think you've got to hold your hand up and and make sure you do it better next time. I mean, that's frustrating, but it wasn't just one. It was it was a couple of people who let yeah. their man go, and the space was there for the for the, the chap to, to fire in. Frustrating, and uh, even more so because you suspect after the West Ham game, they've been working on that on the training ground, and it's just been a moment um, again of just switching off and allowing yeah. the opposition in. And you will hope, you know, if they're looking at it again this week, that it doesn't happen against Liverpool on Saturday. And then we had the equaliser from the man behind us. If you're watching live, we've got Miggy on the green screen there <laughs> celebrating. Um, I mean, it was a, it was a really good finish from Amiot, and, and, and the build-up Longstaff's uh, effort being saved, it was probably the best uh, moments for Newcastle in in the entire game. Really, I, you know, I, I I will hold my hands up. I was about to criticise Sean Longstaff just before he had that effort on goal. I felt he kept giving the ball away, you know, um, and then he goes and does does that, and it leads to the to the um, the goal uh, that Miggy scored. It, but again, it's just a tad frustrating that that was really probably the only moment they had in the entire game against, and I don't want to leave the point, but against a, a really poor side. Yeah, yeah, they di- they didn't create a great deal, and it it was one of the few, the few coherent moves they put together, um, and and fair play to Saint Maximum because he's he's had a tough couple of weeks, you know, he's he's not people are doubling up on him as they've always done, and he's he's not really had his been at his explosive best to be able to get away from them in the last couple of games. But he did on that occasion, picked a great ball. Um, you know, Longstaff's made a fantastic run, good control, decent hit, great save by the keeper. But I think you're right about Almiron's finish. He, the keeper thought he's going to put it to his left and covers that. And to put it back across him inside the far post, I thought was a great finish. For a lad who's, you know, after a great run earlier in the season, hasn't scored in a in a, in a few games. Mm. Trio says St Maxim did a great job leading up to that goal. And that was Miggy's 10th goal. And listeners of the podcast will remember, I did tell John Gibson that Miggy was going to score this week against Bournemouth and in the final as well. So <laughs> one half of that uh, prediction's come true. Let's... Hope that he uh, he nets the winner in the final as I predicted. But you know, and, and people know that I am the unofficial elected chairman of the Miguel Almiron fan club. So you can <laughs> you can join Damien if you want. I'll take the application off you at the end of the show. But just a word. I mean, ten goals this season for a man who who really struggled to find the net before Eddie Howe came on board. Uh, what is the the secret? Do you think is it mainly down to confidence? Just having a manager who puts the arm on the shoulder and says, right, you know, you are the best, you can do this, you can, you, you, you know, you can win games for this club. I, th- I think there's an element of that, yeah, and a, b- a big element. He, uh, you know, he's, the one thing you could never criticise Almerham for, even when it wasn't happening for him, was he never stops running, he never stops trying. Um, and 
he's quick. People hate playing against him because he's very, very quick. Now, if you think, as in his first couple of seasons, that there's not a lot going to happen once he gets to where he's trying to get to, that's a, that's a pretty simple task to, to mark him out of the game. But now that he's bringing end product, that makes him a really dangerous player. And, and you can see teams have started to commit, as they do with St Maximin, they've started to commit two, two players to him whenever he, he sets off. Because he, he can literally, as we've seen many, many times, run from his own half deep into the other half and take people with him. And his finishing this season has been great when, when in previous seasons you'd have to say it's it's been substandard. Yeah, I think the, the goal against Bournemouth uh, maybe last season, the season prior, probably was ending up in the stands. It was a great moment of clarity and just, you know, takes his time and put it in the back of the net. We've got David here saying he wants back into the Miggy fan club because last weekend <laughs> he wanted out. So I don't know about that. I'll have to put it to uh, to the members and see if we can get you back in, David. Um, the other thing about him that I like is there was uh, a couple of instances on, on Saturday that he was he, he tracked back and he, there was I think there was one where he ran thirty or forty yards to get a tackle in and then it sent Newcastle down the other end and he's just got such an engine on him oh. but then so do most of this Newcastle United the, the the fitness I think is one of the main things that that Eddie Howes has changed at Newcastle and we know the concerns that went prior uh, under under Steve Bruce and I think you and Trippier mentioned it last week in, a, in an episode of a, a podcast he was on that there would been some concerns raised when he asked about. What had gone before, you, I mean, no concerns. Yeah, they're, they're, as much as they look tired, their engine and their stamina on the day of a match, it's 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 better than most teams in the Premier League. I think it is. I mean, you can't you can't argue it. And certainly in the, in the early part of the season, the pressing and the pressing as a unit was incredible. There was such intensity that you know they were pinning teams back, and 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 it was going. As a unit, you know, at the, at the appropriate moment as well. They weren't doing it constantly. They were picking the moment, and then each each of the front three picking up on the cue to to go with it. Uh, and I think that's become a little bit less effective in the last couple of weeks. Whether that's to do with the the fatigue we've talked about, or or whether it's um, the other teams. I mean. Uh, Bournemouth, I thought, were quite sketchy playing out from the back the other day. And earlier in the season, I think Newcastle might have capitalised on that a bit more. And they, they just they, they were able, although just by the skin of the teeth, they were able to play around the press uh, on Saturday, I thought. And that wasn't happening earlier in the season. So whether it just needs to be fine-tuned a little bit or whether that's whether that is an element of, of tired legs, I'm, I'm not too sure. We saw Isaac start uh, from the off, obviously, with Wilson out injured. How do you think he did? Is he still getting up to speed? I think he is. Um, I think he's unfortunate in as much as that his debut was spectacular. At, at Liverpool, he was he was magnificent that night. And, you know, scored a great goal. Was unlucky not to come away with two. Um, and looked really, really sharp. And then he had this hideous injury which kept him out for months and months and it, it does look like it's taken him time to get up up to pace but he he looks a player he certainly looks a player I think he ended up for me he ended up out wide a bit too often yeah. the other day particularly when they were lacking a focal point um, 
but yeah, his his willingness to run in behind, I think it, I think once he gets up to speed, I think he could be a very decent player for him. Because I noticed that as well. There was examples when he was going out to the left, but then you think, well, who who are you aiming for? Because you're the man. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> uh, meant to be in the centre. I guess that shows a little bit of frustration maybe from his part. He wanted to be involved. He wanted to get the ball. Newcastle weren't maybe feeding him enough. But also, you could look at it from a positive note and say, well, actually, if he is drifting out there, because this has been one of the big debates uh, across social media about Isaac, can he play on the left? You know, Is he someone that can come in from the wide? We saw against Liverpool, the goal and the, the very nearly second goal, both came off from him running from, from the wide. And there's been a big debate whether he could start there and you play Wilson in the middle and, and, and would that work with Miggy or someone else still on the, on the, on the other flank? It's a good question. I just wonder whether you make the most of his strengths if he plays out wide. And I mean, I know at the moment it seems to be either Wilson or Isaac. And Howe has been asked, could you play them as a two? And he's 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 not knocked that down. I don't think that's his intention particularly. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't think. Personally, I don't think I've seen enough of Isaac to be able to say whether it, whether he would prosper out there. It, to me, from what I've seen, I think he's better, better down the middle. But I'm I'm certainly open to persuasion. But I think only time, only time will tell on that. Um, and Anthony Gordon was the other man who Newcastle United fans are really excited to see. He came off the bench for Joe Willock pretty early on after after Willock picked up that that injury. Um, what have you made of him so far? Well, he wants the ball, doesn't he? And he, he wants to do something with it when he's got it. Um, listen, I think we know from his his time at Everton what, what he does and what he's good at. And I think that that would be um, really suit the way Newcastle play. Um, I think he's had a bit of misfortune so far. Things have just... Balls have run away from him or somebody's got a, a foot in. It's, so it hasn't quite clicked yet, but he, the intent is there. Um, and he's another player who I think people lo- don't like defending against because he's 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 got a bit, um, and I I think I think he'd be eased into the team, but I think he's I think he's got he's he's got good weapons for the way Newcastle play that raw talent and yeah. and, and I guess in an ideal world like you say he would be eased into the team like we saw with Bruno. But the hand being dealt with Newcastle at the moment, and again, we don't know the severity of these injuries, but you might have no option but to play him against Liverpool on Saturday. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. And you would, do you know what? You wouldn't, I, you wouldn't think that would phase him because he's got Premier League experience. Um, he, he might relish he might relish the Liverpool and I guess it. the fact he can't play in the final anyway it actually yeah. might it might be the best scenario and then you can maybe I don't want to use the word rest but you, you can take someone out that is definitely going to play in the final maybe I mean like Joe Layton, for example I, mean, I wouldn't want to say that because I think he's been Newcastle's most consistent performer all season I thought mm-hmm. if you're looking for people who again did alright on Saturday he was a man yeah, who, I would agree. again who did a, who did a, a good job and he's, he's crucial to, to Newcastle hopefully winning Winning the cup, but again, I suppose that's the bigger question, Damien. Is how do you think Eddie Howe is going to approach Saturday? Um, we know he focuses on one game at a time. Well, that's at least what he says, and we know he wants to win every game. You know, it's all about what Newcastle can do, not what the opposition opposition can do. But you do have a cup final coming up. Um, you know, a week 
uh, in a day later, does he maybe allow himself to ever so slightly think ahead and say, well, actually, you know, if we lose him or him from a suspension or we lose him from an injury, you know, that's going to really hit where, or is it all about three points on Saturday and he'll play his strongest team possible? I think when we ask him on Friday, he'll say, I play my strongest team possible and not even think about next Sunday. Um, think privately, he'll be having those thoughts. Um, and I suppose, again, that's the that's the perspective. As, as fans, you wondered, would fans take defeat by Liverpool but then win the cup final? I, I'm saying, I would guess a majority would say, yeah. Um, if it was guaranteed, most certainly. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, whether whether Eddie Howe would... Well, I'm sure Eddie Howe wouldn't think that way, but whether he would be um, a little bit pragmatic on Saturday and um, pick a team he thinks can win the game rather than his strongest team... Um, I you, don't know. That doesn't sound like him, but you want that momentum, though, as well. You you want you to be going you in, do. and and this Liverpool side. I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to go here and say I, I think they'll get beat tonight off Everton. I don't think they're in a, in a, in a great place at all, and I think Newcastle go in that game favourites at home, fifty thousand behind them the week before a cup final. You know they are there for Newcastle to to beat them, and I know Newcastle haven't been on the best run of late. You know the, the draws, lack of goals, now conceding. But, you know, you want to be winning that game and going into that week, that build-up to the final, you know, just up in the heavens and, 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 and buzzing. Whereas a defeat just, you know, turns the excitement down ever so slightly. Obviously, you're still going to be buzzing about a final, but you want to go in with a win. No, no it's, it's a very valid point. It's a very valid point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think, given, given the run of games they've had, yes, I think they would want to go to Wembley on the back of it. A win, um, but I, I do I do think you're right that he, he will be considering what options he he has, and particularly given you know the the injuries that were picked up at the weekend, um, you know, is I'm sure the sports science team will be looking and saying, well, is that down to fatigue as we've talked about, overexposure or or whatever. Um, and, and and I think that comes into his selection every week. They, they look at the stats and 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 how players are physically and mentally. Uh, but he's been fortunate enough to be able to field a pretty consistent team for most of the season. Mm. Um, and it, to me, it would be a surprise if he did anything different. Certainly want to watch. And we'll have our preview podcast on Thursday, as usual, with John Gibson. And I'll just point you into the direction of our special Wembley supplement. I'll pop the link into the comments at the end of the show and into the podcast description. This is our specially produced uh, Wembley preview uh, ahead of that League Cup final. You can find it in your uh, local gouges and shops and you can order it online to be delivered worldwide. Loads of uh, brilliant reviews in there. I've spoken to Tommy Craig. Um, and there's uh, Supermax got a column in there and John Gibson looking back, of course, on his decades of covering Newcastle United without silverware. But it's a really good read if you find it in the shops. Go out and get that order it online. Um, just a quick word. I know we've spoken about Callum Wilson, Damien. Not available against Bournemouth. Eddie Howe sort of suggested it. He didn't think it was too serious, but it would have to be assessed. Do you see him being back in time for Liverpool? And I guess it, the, the bigger question is probably it, it's another nod to why... 
unfortunately, uh, Newcastle can't quite rely on him because he, he just tends to pick up injuries and his history suggests that you know he might be out for a longer period of time than maybe I was letting on. We don't know again. That's just my view. But you know, it, it's just another unfortunate thing for him to pick up in such an important time of the season. Yeah, it is. It is. And he's, he's been very unfortunate with muscle injuries and he doesn't tend to come back from them quickly either. Um, and when he does come back, he, he, he seems to ease himself. No, sorry, that sounds like he doesn't... Tr- I'm not meaning to suggest he doesn't try, but it seems to take him time to get back up to speed again is what, is what I mean. Um, so, yeah, the timing is, is really unfortunate. Um, Such a shame as well after he scores against West yeah, Ham. After yeah. looking... You know, a former shadow of himself, not looking, you know, like he was up to speed, and then he scores a typical Callum Wilson goal, and you're thinking, right, you know, this this is the the launch pad. We're going to now see him net against Bournemouth, go in the Liverpool game, go in that final, and then just to get the news that actually he's not he's not here. He's picked up a hamstring injury. It's just yeah. very unfortunate. It is. It is, and uh, we obviously don't know the degree. I mean, I know Eddie said after the game, or might have even been before the game, that. They didn't think it was serious and they he thought he would be back for this weekend. I think if there's any doubt, he, he won't play on, on Saturday at all. You couldn't possibly risk him, I don't think. Um, just to have a quick discussion about the news about Strawberry Place, Newcastle United buying back that land that Mike Ashley sold. Uh, you know, It was earmarked for development hotels, restaurants, bars, that sort of thing. Uh, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic news given the demand for tickets. It's probably a long way down the line when they start uh, you know, knocking things down and building things up. But just to have that land back under club ownership, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big thing for, for the club and the fans. It is. I think, it's, uh, I think that was quite sort of symbolic of the whole, the whole situation, wasn't it? There was a, it was you know, perceived as Ashley just not wanting to develop the club on or off the field. Uh, when the when the land was sold, and I think the fact that it now is back in club ownership and the potential is there to to develop the stadium further, you know, will will be music to the ears of uh, of the fans, you know, who've who've seen a club stagnate or had seen a club stagnate for for fourteen years. Um, but I think the more important thing is that there's a need for it because there, there wasn't a need for it two years ago. <laughs> the people weren't queuing up for tickets; they are now. Um, and I, you know, that would, that would be. Good. I mean, and there are difficulties, obviously, with the the city, the situation, the ground, with the the, the lasers terrace and 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 everything. That there's only so so much of it can be developed in and in such a way. Um, but I think it, it, you know, the the fact that it's up there on the hill, invisible from, you know, the approaches to the city. I think that's that's a key part of the. Of, of the history of the club and uh, of the the feeling around the place and the you know the cathedral on the hill and all that and I, you know I, I think it is hugely symbolic and and to go out and actually buy that land back because again you know when you know I think my dad Gadusi came out and said it would be like ripping the, the soul out of the club if we move but if you get three or four years down the line and that you know that development goes ahead and then you've still got all that demand. You know, you know, skeptics might then say, "Oh, they, you know, they're definitely going to have to move because that's what the situation you know demands." But the fact that they've gone and gone, well, yeah, we probably have got three options: leave it as it is, move in time, or try and buy this land back. And they've gone 
and bought the land, which wouldn't have been cheap. No. It shows real, uh, you know, real understanding, I think, again, of, of, of what the fans desire because it would have broken so many people's hearts to have to move, as you say, from the cathedral on the hill and move to wherever it would be to lose that tradition, that history, because it is a unique stadium to, 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 to call home. Do, do you know what? It, 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 absolutely, I totally agree with that. But then I'm just, I'm just thinking, as plain devil's advocate, you know, Sunderland and Middlesbrough have both moved to grounds outside the, the city centre and, you know, there will be people who remember Roker Park and Ayrson Park with great fondness. But I don't see any diminution of the the love for the club by by moving. So I don't think it's necessarily a disaster. Um, but, but, yeah, as, as I was saying, I think it's the symbolism of it that... You know that if that can be developed, and you you can, because it's all right when when visiting players and managers and fans come, they do love the the, the place and its centrality to the to the city and the the atmosphere and the history. Um, so I, I I I do think on a on a sort of um, gut reaction level, yeah, it's it's really important that it's it, that that is a possibility. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch over the next few months, and yeah, see exactly what happens with that. Just to finish off, then let's talk about that Wembley final. I know our focus should be on Liverpool, but we're going to just look a little bit ahead to that. Um, I'm assuming I haven't checked this before I ask you, but you were down for the. 98-99 finals. I was on the semi yeah, in the 2000s. So you were there. Um, I was speaking to you know friends and family over the weekend, and they were you know my uncles went down to, to both the 98-99 finals, and they kind of said there was a little bit of a different feeling. You know, my night, for example, they were expected to win. You know, this is the the treble side. Arsenal just also won the Premier League a few weeks before, so they were expected to win. Was I think Newcastle going to this? I think it's pretty much level pegging. I know their forms dropped off slightly in my night are are picking up one, but I mean they drew with they drew with Leeds, didn't they, the other day? So they're not exactly um you know, uh, blowing sides out of the water. Um I know they beat Leeds comfortably after that two two draw, but they're not, you know, running teams over. Um it's level pegging going in and, and there's just a different feeling I think across the fan base, across the city, where as I mentioned right at the start of the show, everyone's pulling in the same direction, you know. And that's going to count for a lot going into that game as well. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, just going back to, to 98, Arsenal were comfortably the best team in England. 99, Man United were not comfortably, but the best team in Europe, ultimately. Um, you know, and funnily enough, I was looking through the team sheets the other day and they were two very, very good good teams they played against. And he, even when Roy Keane, Roy Keane limped off after eight or nine minutes or whatever it was, you never really thought, that damaged them that much, uh, and I think both games was goal either side of half time, wasn't it? Sorry, goal in each half, and yeah, Newcastle were never really getting back into either game, um, and I think you're right. I think it is it, it is different this time. Um, I think up until a month ago, you would have said Newcastle would go in as favourites. Now I think it's. As you say, more even, possibly even tipped a little slightly towards Manchester United, given their run of form. But it's there to be won. Uh, it really is there to be won. And if if Newcastle, you know, even though they 
playing badly at the moment. Sorry, not playing badly. They're not playing as well as they were. They're still not conceding many goals. And if you can go to Wembley and keep a clean sheet, anything can happen at the other end. And do you think the fact that, you know, if you go around the city centre, you know, I think people are confident you go out and we go out and do Vox Pops and what have you. I think people are confident. They're going down there. We can win this. We can win this. Um, whereas in 1999, the confidence wasn't really there going into the games. And just that change in feeling is, is, is massive because, you know, if we're feeling it here as journalists and admittedly as a, as a fan myself, then the players, the manager, they're certainly feeling, feeling it you know, when they get waved off, uh, whether it's the, the coach to the, to the airport and what have you, when they, they get off the coach at Wembley. They will feel that that buzz and confidence, and I know it's down to the players when they cross that white line. But going down into that weekend, knowing the fans, you know, are, are, are more than hopeful. That can only be a good thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, if you think back to to ninety eight, it was a team that was in need of rebuilding, and ninety nine, there'd been some rebuilding done, but it was in need of more. You know, under under Dalglish and, and then uh, Hullet. Um, whereas this team is still a work in progress, but I think there's a far greater. It's it's further down the line, in in my opinion. You know, you you had you had Alan Shearer, you had Robley, you had Shea Given, but around them, it perhaps wasn't it. There wasn't the the depth of quality in the team that I think there is there is now, um, and I think it's close. Newcastle's level of quality, overall level of quality, is closer to that of Man United now than it was in 99. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But as we say, the focus, despite all that in the last five minutes, is on Saturday against Liverpool. Damien, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. Where can our listeners and viewers find you and, and read your work and on social media? Uh, well, you, you'll find me on, on Twitter and um, our our stuff is uh, often tweeted out on PA Dugout is another Twitter account. But uh, So yes, we're all over the place. There you go. <laughs> go and look Damien up. Uh, follow him on Twitter if you don't already. To you guys watching and listening, thank you very much for tuning in. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on the podcast channel, uh, hit that like button, follow button and leave us a rating and review. And do go and order your Wembley supplement. Like I say, plenty of great content in there leading up to the final you won't regret buying that and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news